Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Rodan Podcast. Stay tuned to hear all things LFC. Miller, lovely cushion header for Gerrard! Oh, you beauty! What a head shot! What a head! Liverpool 3-0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Salah took it, rolled it up here for Nunez! Hi everyone and welcome to season three of the Roden Podcast. Today I'm joined by Ultra Runner Rob Pope. Rob, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on. That's well, good to see you. It's good to see you. It's been a while in the making, but we got there. Yeah. <laughs> mate, you know I like things that take a long time. <laughs> so let's before we get into things in the Liverpool side of things, um, I want to talk to you about you, first of all. You're a vet and an ultra runner. Um, I know people love running for various reasons, obviously for marathons and things like that, but what gets you out of bed? You've First of all, you've got a brilliant profession. You've got a family. What's your reason for doing it? Oh, mate, they sort of getting out of bed is the hardest thing for, for me every single day. Um, like sort of, yeah, as you alluded to there, an ultra runner. And so... Never set out to be an ultra runner, but then one day I decided to go for a little run across America, and you know, then then four hundred and twenty-two days later, I was the new Forrest Gump. And a lot of people said to me, "Did you ever feel like quitting?" And I was like, "Yeah, every day." <laughs> <laughs> I don't do mornings, man. And uh, I've just got this new job up in Preston, and it's actually helped me get organised because I just fear the M6 so much. Oh, that I've yeah. just got to get out of my pit, and then I get there dead early, and I've actually, and I'll get to the gym at like seven in the morning. That's unheard of for me. So if anyone's listening, got I hate people like him. Honestly, <laughs> I hate people like me as well. Like, so, but I've got to do it now. So obviously, in two thousand and six, you started this journey across America, um, fifteen thousand seven hundred miles, and it was known as the USA Forest Gump journey. So for people that don't know. Your book can be found on Amazon and other places, of course. Um, <laughs> the greatest distance from anyone from the UK has ever run in a year. So when you started that out in Alabama, was it a case of running the whole route or was it just a case of see how far I go? I, I read this book about 10 years before I uh, before I did the run. And um, it was an English uh, fellow who'd run across America, and just it sounded just so boss to do, you know. And uh, you know, he wasn't going out and I said to run this marathon PB every day, chat to people and see the sights and stuff. And I thought, I want to do that one day. And um, a long sort of period elapsed before I actually got on the road. And in that time, the idea of actually trying to run the Forest Gump route came to uh, came to fruition like and um but I wasn't big headed enough to think I could do it because a no one's done it 
you know, because apparently that Forrest Gump's not a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I basically got the tourist visa, which is 90 days. And I figured that was enough to get me from Alabama, which is where Forrest was from, to Santa Monica Pier, which is the first point where you see and he just gets to the ocean and then turns around. And I thought, if, you know, well, for a start, if, if I don't get there, I don't get there. That's it. You know, it shows that I definitely couldn't have done the five things. But if I get there and I don't absolutely hate it, that's when I'll keep on going. And then so the first leg of that was always going to be for me because I'd wanted, wanted to do it for like, sort of, you know, like, you know, probably 15 years or something. Um, but then after that, it became for the charities, you know, and stuff. And so I was just going to keep on going as long as I physically could. How long did it take you in total in days? 422 days. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and what weight did you get down to at this point? Because surely you must have lost a ton of weight. I put two pounds on. Two pounds on? <laughs> yeah, I was in America, wasn't I? It was great. <laughs> yeah. like, so how many calories days. was that like a day? Uh, probably about five and a half to six and a half thousand, depending on sort of what I had. Because some days, you know, like you were running through urban places, and um, there were there were some times where it was like you know forty degrees, like you know, and obviously that's in the shade and you're out in the sun, and um, and so I'd literally run from one fast food place to another one, not necessarily because I was craving the calories, but because it was it was just the aircon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you get in there and um you know they had these refillable sort of cokes and everything like that so i'd end up having like you know a, like three or four massive cokes it probably put about a thousand calories down the hatch and then a load of uh you know burgers and whatever and I, I can tell you one combination that is very very dangerous which is a large coke with all the caffeine followed yeah. by a powerade with all the electrolytes <laughs> now if anybody if anybody's medically trained, they'll know that that isn't going to be very good for your guts. And there are a couple of times where there was a, a dash behind the bush. <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I, I'm I'm bad at the best of times if I eat fast food, never mind anything else. But <laughs> it was a, just a case of where and when. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like, and there was, a, like, some of the times I was there, like, about half the time, um, my girlfriend was supporting me. And half the time I was just pushing all my stuff in a pram. And there was one occasion sort of um, where I basically just pushed this pram like into a bush and I dived into the bush. And obviously a concerned passerby was like in the car and then they were like, oh my God, someone's just dumped their baby there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've heard about dropping the kids off, you know. Like, but, uh, <laughs> when, when she got out of the car, I just said, don't be alarmed. I said, I'm in the bush. And there's but, no baby. So, you know, when you're running across, obviously, this this is just one of many that you've done. But have you got any mad stories from it? Because I've seen someone recently running across Africa and he's getting held at gunpoint and getting all their equipment stuck, or stuff took off them and everything like that. Have you got yeah. any mad things that happened to you? Obviously, you're talking about Russ there, you know. Yeah. Sort of a, yeah, he's a bit, bit, of a bit of a crazy lad himself, you know, but uh, good fun. Um, yeah, like sort of, there was one moment like where I definitely empathised with everything that he had, and I was crossing from uh, rural uh, Pennsylvania into New York, uh, actually the other way around, New York into Pennsylvania, and um, I saw this fella who was must have been about 18, 19 stone, 
But you know the sort of fella who's fat, but he's packed full of muscle as yeah. well, that sort of thing, you know. And uh, like like the sort of like almost like a prop forward, but six foot three. Yeah. And um, he threw this bag of rubbish across his garden. And I thought, that's a bit weird, but you know, you do what you want, can't you? You know, and um then this bag of rubbish hits the floor and it rolls over, but it's got legs. And I'm um, like obviously I'm a vet, so I'm not not overly keen keen with him throwing his dog across the garden. But you know the way your brain thinks about a million things dead quick. Yeah. And like, you know, you could write them all out and it'd take you five minutes to think to, to do what your brain's done in like five seconds. And um, I thought, no, I can't say anything. I'm in the middle of nowhere. But then I've got to say something about this. And he runs across the garden and just, like, punts this dog in the belly. But then suddenly, like, can I swear on this? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I just go, like, in me, like, the best Scouse accents, you know, obviously quarter of his size going, hey, you, you fucking... You know, I went, don't kick your dog, you know. And he goes... What did you say? And it was like it—it sounded like a cross between the Dark Knight and Bane, you know. And I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" And then I just went, "You heard me? Don't kick!" And you know, if you kick off like anyone like that in the UK, everybody backs down. Only because yeah. they just think we've got a mad scouser here. Yeah. But this fella just starts running towards me, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" This is one of the times where I had me stroller. So I'm pushing this pram down the road, getting chased by this fellow with the dog wagging his tail after him, like instant forgiveness. And um, we go about 200 metres, and then he stops and he's gassed. He's like, you know, pulling the air in. But then he turns around and runs back to his house. He doesn't walk back to my house. I'm like, why are you running? Why are you running back to your house? And I was like, oh, my God. So I literally stopped take a screen grab on Google Maps and send a message to me, missus, saying, if you don't hear from me in the next few hours, this is where you direct the police. And then so I legged it. And then, of course, every like car that goes past me, I'm like looking to see if it's like a huge skinhead, you know, and he doesn't he doesn't come after me. The mad thing is, is me missus gets this message and then me reception cuts out. So oh. she calls up to find out what's going on. And then there's just no answer. And it's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that is horrendous. <laughs> when did you next get in touch? Uh, oh, well, later. But uh, I'd actually been in a brewery for a few hours after that then. <laughs> and um, this, this is a swings and roundabouts in America. And to be fair, I'm mentioning this dude. He was one of three people that I can like instantly recall in my head who just going the three bad eggs who I met out of about, you know, four five six thousand people you know that i met and um it was it was just great and that night in the brewery i go in there i'm staying with a tattoo artist in town that i reached out to on couch surf and he said yeah come and stay at mine i was in the bar nobody would let me buy a drink and then this fella goes do you want some do you want like a cap from the brewery goes and gets a cap from like the merch stand that they've got there but goes to the cashier on the way back comes back with two hundred dollars and I just said, mate, have you cleared this with your wife? <laughs> you know, you're in a brewery and then you've just given some mad lunatic $200. And he said, don't worry, man. He said she'd appreciate it. That's amazing, Anna. That's amazing. So when you was telling people about what you was actually doing, what was the feedback like? 
the thing is in America, cars king, right? You know, and so um, when we were in like sort of Texas, a mate of mine from from school who now lives in San Francisco, not seen him for twenty years, comes out running with me, and I'm just sort of saying like, oh mate, it's great, you know, like everybody's dead, you know, sound and stuff like that, and I'm running across this road, and a car just completely cuts me up. I nearly like do a you know starts you know to roll over the car bonnet. And like they're just like so dumbstruck that I was running. So when I actually said to people, uh, you know, sometimes I'd be sat outside a gas station, and this fella came and just gave me two dollars, and I was like, "Oh, mate, I'm not a," homeless, you know. But, <laughs> but then I figured I kind of was. And then you tell people about this, and you say, "What are you doing?" I go, "Well, I'm running across America," and they're like, "Oh, when when do you think you're going to get to the uh, the other the other side?" And I'm like, sort of, well, probably about another fifty two days, and they're like how are you going so slowly? And I'm like, I'm on foot, running on yeah. foot, not in the car. <laughs> That's It's mad. It's mad. And this couch surf, I've never heard of that. Was no it's one been... ever thinking, was no one ever saying to you, are you fucking nuts in America? Yeah, oh, all, all the time, including people who I stayed with. Like, that, that <laughs> couch surfing community is great. It's like just a website, and, like, you'll type in a town, and like I said, it would probably were great for European trips, you know, if people actually thought about it. Yeah. Um, you could just like sort of send, you know, to, to in Toulouse, I uh, got Toulouse couch surfing's gonna go off the chain now, isn't it? You know, <laughs> and I'm just gonna go, wanna come over there, and you know, and the point is you're meant to do it to other people, probably never the same people, but you know, someone's coming to see Liverpool, and then you just go, Yeah, just stay in ours, you know, and then uh, you know, they, they'll usually cook you dinner, it might not be a couch most of the time, it's a bed and you know, the amount of times, though, when um, I had nowhere to stay, uh, there was nowhere obvious to camp. You know, if you're in the middle of a town, if you're in, like, sort of uh, Liverpool and you didn't know the city, you're not just going to go into Seffy Park and throw your tent up, no. you know. And so, and um, I'd be in a pub and, like, people, I'd, I'd, just, I'd say to the barman, like, do you mind if I, uh, like, pitch this tent around the uh, back of the bar tonight? Because, of course, I was in some pretty, like, rural areas. Yeah. And then they just go, what do you mean? It's gone running across America. And they're like, no, no, you're staying in my house. Or so, so the fella next to you on the bar stool would just go, no, you're staying in mine. And then they drive you home, you know. And uh... It's amazing, that. <laughs> you do some work for, like, some big, massive charities, WWF and the Stroke Association, which has a big meaning for me and my family. Um, does that give you the extra motivation to, I wouldn't say to finish what you're doing, but to push it on even more? Defo, because um, I like sort of, I'm, I'm really, I'm good at motivating other people, but I'm really bad at motivating myself in terms of the fact that I have to uh, do it a lot, you know. And so, fortunately, I know my inner self, so I, I can force myself to do it. But, you know, like sort of, uh, I might just sneak a bike ride in tonight, you know, so I was, I was super chuffed about that. But I, I hate letting people down. And I sort of, um, what, when I was in America, I said I was going to run across it, but I never said to people, I'm running across five times because I didn't want to be the mouth, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. um, and then basically it was, it, was, it was 400 miles in, in Texas, and I got my first big injury. I got like a tendonitis in my shin. Like running 400 miles is a massive achievement, you know. Like sort of, you know, to be honest, like if you're not a runner, you decide what your huge achievement is. Like people say to me now, like sort of, uh, oh, you know, I just did the couch to 5K the other week, but that's nothing for you, is it? That's not like proper running. I've said, of course it's running because it's something for you, you know. But with the charities, 
I didn't mind talking about it because I figured the more I talk about it, and if I'm on social saying I'm doing it for these, when I got to San Francisco and we'd got, this was the end of the third leg and we'd done just over 10,000 miles now. Now, if, you know, we'd have quit there, we'd have still have had that thing to hang our hat on, ran yeah. 10,000 miles across America. Like, no one's ever run across America three times in a year, you know, and so that I could always go home and even if someone beats it, I'd just go, well, I was the first anyway. <laughs> but for the charities, that was just, just a big run. It fades into obscurity amongst all the other great runs, like what Russ is doing now, for example, you know. And um, that's why, like, Russ's thing's cool because it's it's a first, you know, yeah. sort of an, um, don't worry about records. Someone's always going to beat that, you know, get you know, get a first in. They have to be broken, and, aren't they? Exactly, you know. And then so I just figured if I keep on going and get to that point in, um, in the desert with a massive beard, then it's a thing, you know, and um, like I, I really miss being on the road and I've, like sort of kind of battling with a bit of a knee injury now. Like I'm, I'm fit in terms of like you know aerobic and stuff like that, but I'm not running the way I, I want to be, and yeah. I really miss it. And I was getting a little bit down about it, but recently I've just become, you know, I've gone through the stages of grieving, and um, I've come to the point now where I'm, I'm just much more inclined to look back on it and just go, God, that was boss, you know. So obviously you can look back on it now and you can say that, but once you've actually finished and done what you'd set out to do, how was it for it? Like, how did that feel? It must have been like pride. It must have been emotional. It must have been a lot of things. Yeah, well, it was uh, not not wanting to put too many spoilers in uh, for, if anybody wants to get the book, you know, but uh, I obviously went through a lot of personal change there, but the biggest change at the end was proposing to me missus and having a baby, you know? And yeah. so uh, that was like, um, you know, colossal for me. So I was insulated from the the impact of not having this, even though it, it was like freedom, but within a really cool prison, you know, yeah. because I still had to get up every day and run 50 miles, you know, but, it was during that day, it was how I wanted to do it. If I wanted to sit down on a road roadside verge and have a massive, like, booty, mm. I could do. You know, if I wanted to go to a pub that night, I could. I just had to do my job the next day. But then when I came back, I've got this new routine. And so it was only, like, once everything calmed down, about six months in, I, there's a group on Facebook called USA Crosses, and it's dedicated to all people who've either walked or run across America, you know. Um, and there was a topic there once where people were saying, how's everybody dealing with, like, you know, the depression after the, after going across? And I was like, I've always been pretty bomb-proof, you know, like, sort of, uh, had, you know, grandparents died, me mum dying, which is, the you know, the probably the yeah. thing that's shaped my life more than anything. Um, relationships break down. I've always been pretty bomb-proof. You know, I'll, I'll have woke up and I've gone to work the next day. I'll have gone out on the weekend and I've dealt with it in my own way. So I was thinking with this group, be fine. What, what do you mean, depression? I've got this baby and it's boss. And, I, you know, I, I love the fact that I run across. I didn't comment on that because obviously that'd be the act of a gobshite, you know, but uh, yeah. I, I did think that I'd be completely fine. And then six months in, like, I just realised that I was... I, I was a right miserable get, you know, I'd be sniping at people, you know, and stuff like this, you know, not, not like in terms of running stuff, but I'd be like, oh yeah, or well, whatever, you know, and 
And I thought, God, this is it. This is sort of, you know, I could now choose to go down this route of being like, you know, you see it with ex-players, don't you? Like yeah. some of them, like sort of they they just can't handle other people's success, you know, especially ones who've gone into management and then they've got like players who are not as good as their, you know, sort of level, you know, and I just thought, no, I don't want to be that person. And I just wish I'd actually paid more attention to that thread at the time and headed it off at the pass and then I wouldn't have had six months of being a bit of a bastard. <laughs> at least you picked up on it though, at least you figured it out. That's the main yeah, thing. Exactly. Isn't it? <laughs> Why aren't my mates calling me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so obviously that one was I mean, that's something that not many people are gonna do in their lifetime, let's be honest. But this is the Sahara Desert Marathon. Is something that I've seen a couple of people talk about and raise money for. Um, it makes me need a drink thinking about it, first of all. <laughs> but did, you suffered pneumonia doing this. So how on earth do you get through this f- to begin with before yeah. pneumonia? Well, the one thing is, so we talk about the Marathon de Sable here, and it's one of the races that um, gets called the hardest race in the world. Now, there's quite a few of them there, and this is probably the most commercial of all of them, you know, and as such, you know, sort of it gets a bit derided. Oh, it's not that hard. An 80-year-old fella did it. But the one thing is, because of the nature of the terrain, so it's six days, um, you know, doing about 160 miles um, across the Sahara. The last stage is ceremonial, so it's only about sort of six miles. So they pack it in in them five days. You carry all your own stuff apart from your water, which gets replenished each day, and you camp in these open-sided tents with 10 people you've never met before. And the best thing about it is it's a bit like circuits at the gym. So everybody comes out of that as knackered as everybody else. You know, you you race it, you destroy your legs, you get like sort of, you know... um, the whole, you know, sort of, I have run a marathon type thing. But if you, you know, if you trek it, because, like, you know, anybody without any major injuries and, like, with the persistence can probably finish this, you know. Um, But you'll trek. And if you trek, you cook and yeah. you dehydrate. And so, you know, the next morning, everyone's looking at each other and everyone's in bits. And it doesn't matter that someone's took twice as long as me or, you know, sort of the winner or stuff like that. So... Like I, I came 14th um, and I was 8th at one point. Um, and so I was running on the long stage in the desert. Uh, so 82 kilometres this one is. And there's a sandstorm. And so, you know, sometimes it's like when, when uh, you're hungover and you've got a glass of water at the side of your bed, but you can't be bothered reaching and going and having a drink, even though yeah. it will make massive dividends later. So I had a, a face covering in my bag, but it would have involved taking my bag off, going down to the bottom, getting it out, putting it on. I thought, no, it'll be all right. And I get to the end, and this Italian guy had helped me massively through the stage. Like, I was about to drop out, and he was like, sort of, uh, he didn't speak much English, but he's like, come on, Robbie, you run with me, four kilometres. And I was like, get in there, Thomas, you know. Yeah. And then um, the next day, I was running, and I had to, like, sort of... Um, I think basically avoid losing half an hour on the person who's behind me. And then suddenly I was having this massive asthma attack and I'm not asthmatic. And somebody gave me their inhaler and I ended up coughing and this thing hit the back of my teeth. And it was like a ball of like brown sandy mucus. And so basically what happened in the sandstorm, I'd inhaled a load of sand 
and had a collapsed lung because it blocked off one of my lung lobes. And so all the air just gets dissolved into your blood, but then doesn't mm. get replenished because you're not breathing in. And uh, so I had that. I also had um, a bit of uh, pancreatitis or, or like liver inflammation because I was mostly eating pork scatchings. <laughs> <laughs> Athletes diet. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to get the most calories in 100 grams possible. And I was having that Idaho instant mash with pork scratchings and chili oil. Oh, my just God. Add, yeah, I know, mate. Like, in the desert, like, so when you're having to craft into a bag. And uh, so I decided to have chili oil. So, yeah, I, was, um, I wasn't pretty by the end. And at the end of that 82 kilometer stage, I was in bits. And I go to the tent and uh, my feet, they're bleeding. So I go to the, they have these chiropodists there called Doc Trotters, and they're all French. And so he goes, Robert, your feet, they are so beautiful. <laughs> you have no blisters, unlike anybody I've seen so far. So why do you have to kick so many rocks? You're going to lose three toenails. And then he basically drilled a hole in three of my toenails to let the blood out behind them. And uh, yeah, eventually they all fell off. But you know, Despite all this, I would recommend it to anybody who's been wavering or thinks I just want to do something mad because it's an unbelievable experience. And I'm hoping to go back, not this coming um, April, because it's going to be my missus's birthday and I'll get murdered. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but the April after that, I think I'm going to go back and... Um, you, well, you mentioned the Stroke Association then, like sort of um, it sounds like me and you might have had a similar sort of thing, mate, because um, when I was actually in the Sahara, I got the news that my uh, mum-in-law had had a life-changing stroke and I was going to come home, but the family said, um, you know, you've got to stay out, you've got to do that uh, for yeah. Sue. And um, not long after that, like sort of, uh, you know, a year after Dave, my um, dad-in-law sort of had a, had a similar thing. And so I um, then went on and did the Two Peaks Challenge. So I ran from Snowden via Liverpool uh, hmm. to Scaifel um, for Dave and uh, Sue. Uh, Snowden was for Sue and Scaifel was for Dave. And um, unfortunately, both of them have since passed now. And so I'm wondering whether I might go back one day and see if I can do the Three Peaks and uh, pop up to Ben Nevis, you know, and uh, yeah. get one for you, mate. Oh, brilliant, that, mate. Love that. Um, yeah, it's been, I've had, obviously, we had um, my brother-in-law last year. He'd, he'd had one. He didn't realise he'd had one, to be honest with you, which was even weirder, 36 years of age. Um, wow. Yeah, gets dropped off that, at that's any the thing, People don't realise it can literally happen at any age. It's just a blood vessel going pop. And, you know, we yeah. are just literally bags of blood and bone and we can go wrong at any point, can't we? That's it, yeah. 36 years of age. I, I wouldn't say healthy because we we loved a little bevy on a weekend. <laughs> but, um, you know, more than healthy, some, some far too soon. Um, sore arm, goes into A&E, found multiple fucking... Um, what you call tumors throughout the body, and then oh, within nice. within six weeks, mate, just gone. Um, yeah, life changing for me, and obviously for the family. And like you, you've been through this experience with your missus and family. So yeah, it's, it's shit. But this is part part and parcel of the reason of me starting this podcast. To be honest with you, because it's allowed me to you know speak to people and 
reach out to people when you don't really want to speak to people, if you get what I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the one thing, mate, like sort of um, on my second leg, I stopped to take a photo of the sunset in Arizona and tell you what, never mind doing the Marathon Day Saab, if you can even just get to Arizona to see some of them sunsets, they are off the chain. And I stood there for about 20 minutes because it was that boss. And this lad pulls up in the car and uh, he says, are you walking across America? And I was like, well, running across. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got that in. And um, he'd walked across from uh, Washington to California and he was going the opposite way. He'd literally only got crew that day. His mates had driven over from LA to come pick him up. And if I hadn't stopped there for um, 20 minutes, we'd have never known about each other. And the whole point about his walk was a thing called Let's Talk. And it was saying, like, you know, we're on the phones and, you know, so you could call your mate up, but you don't because you can't be bothered. So you send them a message and stuff like that. And he says, we've got to stop that. You know, we just got to start yeah. talking to people. That's why politics has gone mad, you know, so because, like, you can't have a sensible debate now because if you're in the pub and this fella goes, well, I disagree with this, you know, you realise that he's not, like, shouting and calling me an idiot. But on Twitter, you know, he's calling me an idiot here, isn't he? Yeah. And then you're straight back at him. And um, so, yeah, like I, w- I had days in America where I was literally, I, w- I would have been couch surfing. And um, I was just like, I just, I booked it and it's free, but I don't want to speak to anyone. I literally want to go in, do me stretches, have something to eat and go to bed. Mm. And you get to the door, open the door, and they'd open it with a smile and they go, how are you? And you'd be like, I'm all right, mate. And then you talk to them for about five minutes and then you'd realise at the end of the night it was them wanting to go to bed and you were chatting away to them, you know. And, like, sort of human, like, sort of, you know, even though this is virtual, we're still actually talking to each other, you know. And it's just it's just so important. You need to you need to verbalise things, you know. We've got to move away from this texting shite. Oh, not half. Well, this week, funny enough, on um, Saturday coming, so I, I text a couple of the lads who I haven't seen for quite some time. To be honest with you, I didn't. I've been the one that doesn't do this, but I approached them and said, listen, let's just grab a tent. Let's just go for a fucking walk, a hike somewhere in Wales, pitch the tent, have a barbecue, fire pit, a few pints. You know, it's it's all right sending a message in a WhatsApp group, but it's it's mad that people just don't talk anymore. And well, phones are just a nightmare, aren't they? But... And like, well, we do it, and it is lazy, isn't it? And the reason why you're doing it is because you feel like, so to be honest, it's better than no communication. It is. But like, so just sort of sending something over, you're just going to go, oh, you're right, lad. You're right, lad. You feel like you've almost discharged your responsibility, you know. And sometimes we've got our mates who are maybe feeling a bit vulnerable. And like, you know, sort of, if you're thinking, oh, well, so and so is a bit vulnerable, maybe you should be the first one to actually call him and then, you know, and see what goes on. Message him if he doesn't answer and then just go, oh, Bella's, you know. And, yeah. That's it. That's it. Um, okay. Well, I've got to obviously I've run through a couple of things about your unbelievable runs, let's say, across America and the Sahara and things like that. Um, Tony, who obviously has put us in contact, has spoke to me to say you was approached by the Australian Olympics team. Yeah, man. So um, I moved to Australia in 2013. Um, we had a massive... I used to be in a band... And we had a massive party in a in a pub in Con- in, in Camden called the Constitution, um, where the landlady was a Liverpool fan. For Istanbul, 
there was an area because it was right by Highbury, you know, sort of uh, they had this raised seating area that used to call the North Bank, but they renamed it the Cop for Istanbul, and that's where I watched the final. It was great. And then the next day, flew to Australia, didn't have any mates, thought about playing footy, but I was like 35 when I went, you know, you get injured now. You're injured for like three months, yeah. aren't you? So I thought, <laughs> I'll, join, I'll join a running club. And I got better. Um, and I did the Liverpool Marathon in 2015. Uh, and I won it, which was good. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the year after, I won it again and did my PB. But in between... I got picked to run for the state of Victoria. And so I was like, oh, my God, like, this is a mega honour. And um, so I run the Sydney Marathon and come 10th. But everybody in front of me was either Kenyan or Japanese. So I go across the line and um, the the coach uh, just goes, congratulations, Rob, you're Australian champion. And I'm like, oh, but you know, like, I'm I'm not Australian, don't you? And he goes, doesn't matter, mate, you've been here long enough. And so um, I get this proper actual gold medal. Like, I'm sure it's not like 20, 24 carat and stuff like that, but it's not one of the ones you got out of taskers, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and I actually, once I got it, I took it off and put it in my pocket purely because I figured that there must have been some sort of mistake. Someone was going to say, we need the medal back. And I'd have just gone, I don't know where it is. I yeah. put it down before, you know, and so yeah. and I was walking down the street and this, my phone goes and it's a fella and he's head of Athletics Australia. So it's like Seb Coe calling, you know. Yeah. And then um, he goes, congratulations, Rob. And I'm like, thanks, mate. And he goes, uh, you know, today was an IAAF gold race, yeah? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, do you know what that means? And I'm like, well, it's on telly. And he goes, yeah, mate. And if you come in the top 10 in an IAAF gold race, you qualify automatically for the Olympics. So you've qualified for Rio, mate. And I'm wow. just like, um, <laughs> does this mean I'm going the Olympics? And he goes, not quite, mate. So we've got some people who are going to try for the qualifying time. And if they get the time, it'll be faster than you. And they'll go because they're Australian. But if they don't, would you consider switching nationality? And I just thought, yeah, yeah mate, absolutely. You <laughs> know. Too, right? But exactly. You know, you can still be Scouts and Australian, you know, so, uh, <laughs> but Liverpool don't get in the Olympics. So, um, and yeah, like, so there's three places and I end up being ranked fifth. And um, I couldn't find out where the other fellas lived to like put a roller skate outside the house <laughs> or something like that, you know. So, yeah. Um, I, I keep saying to people, I'm going to get one of those like Olympic tattoos on my arm, but just like three rings and then dot, 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 dot on the rest. <laughs> That's a brilliant. That's brilliant. That, though, isn't it? that must have been mad. It, oh, mate, it was. And like to be honest, like the only reason why I got Australian champion was because those lads had gone to Chicago and Berlin to get the time and stuff like yeah. that. But I, I don't, I, the thing is, like, sort of, um, I, I still wonder. If that is the biggest achievement, I know that the Gump thing was mad, but like sort of just you know qualifying for the Olympics. You know, God knows other people who go the Olympics and then win the Olympics. Yeah. But um, the the only comparison I can draw with that Olympian lifestyle was when I would get to a, an ocean in America. So it would take me so long, not four years, 
But, um, you know, you get there and then be the massive, oh, this is it. And then, like, the likes of Steve Redgraves would just go, oh, I've just got to turn around and just go back. Yeah. And, like, you're so far, you know, 3,000 miles or four years away in the Olympics from getting there. And, um, like, I wouldn't say that I've got the Olympian mindset, but you get an insight into that because, yeah. you know, just the, the first bit when you turn around is a little bit soul-destroying, you know? <laughs> Was it, so when you do that turnaround, is it a point of thinking, Oof, I don't think I can do this, or is it like, I've got to do this now? But that happened every day. It yeah. literally would, you'd wake up and you'd go, like, I, I remember the first time I, I did, I really cottoned on to it because I'd, I'd been, like, sort of, uh, you know, struggling in the mornings for a long time. And then I actually just sort of verbalised. I just went, I just can't run 47 miles today. And then I thought to myself, well, you did 50 yesterday and you've got to do 60 in two days' time anyway. So, you know, what are you going to do? Like, if you're in a tent in the middle of nowhere, are you just going to sit in your tent? And then, you know, are you going to feel better in the day? Probably not. You're going to kick mm. yourself that you, you didn't make progress that day. So there was never a day on the road um, apart from when I was literally in bits injury-wise. Um, so I... That day in Texas when I had my first problem, I still did eight miles, I think, that day. The first one I had where it was a complete stop um, was I was crossing from Arkansas into Tennessee the next day. And I think I was listening to Liverpool-Leicester and we won 2-0. And, and I was, like, running dead fast because I was enjoying it. You know, so I found out, like, sort of midway through, the, I think, the first crossing – I could listen to the commentary on the website. And so every like sort of you know week or so, I just have 90 minutes of a run, which is like the best run of me week. Oh, Even if you brilliant. got beat, you yeah. know, like sort of, you know, there was this one point in Arizona, um, I had massive like headwind. I had a huge like two-mile train uh going to me left, and then a, like an interstate to me right, and I was on this service road in between them, and I was just listening to Liverpool. And it was boss. But um, that day I get into the RV and I feel something just pop a little bit in my quad. And I'm like, a bit weird. And then the next day I run again on it, but 12 miles in, it's just so painful. I have to stop and I walk the rest of the day. I'm in this uh, mobile home park because Nadine and uh, I'm Jenna, my van, uh, with her. And I literally woke up the next morning and my leg was like a watermelon. I couldn't walk to the toilet. I had to hop, literally hop. 30 meters to the toilet and come back and I said I can't do anything today same the next day and then we were sitting down for dinner that night and I said listen if I can't walk in the morning we're just gonna have to go home because Nadine was about to fly home anyway because we were just running out of money um and I said like you know this is gonna be six to eight weeks so yeah. I can't just sit here and do nothing but I woke up in the morning it was a bit sore but not too bad and I walked to the bog and it was fine and so, yeah, I got there and then I walked 27 miles that day, 33 the next day, and then started the running after that. And you just you just got going. I got lucky. I definitely got yeah. lucky. Yeah. That's, that's usually, a, like you said, six to eight weeks you finished that. Yeah. Do you, do you reckon Nabby would have carried on? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he only kicked the grid in the axe and he was finished. <laughs> Don't fucking start me on him. <laughs> All right, let's move on to this motivational speaking that you do then. So you, you do visits, you do talks. Um, 
how do you find that first of all like you said that you you struggle to motivate yourself sometimes but going into i, I don't know what places you actually do i'd imagine from schools to workplaces to events yeah. things like that um how do you find doing them is it is it daunting when you first walk in or is it something that you just now it's like a second nature to you it, the thing is, it's always daunting because you've got a huge amount of imposter syndrome going on, you know, and stuff because, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all the same. And this run, people said it couldn't be done, you know, it just couldn't be done. And there's like six billion on this planet. And so the first person who ever really commits to it from start to finish does it. So am I either the one in six billion who's, got the one in six billion chance of trying it first. Yeah. Or are we all capable of doing this? And so you remember that. And so, like, the thing is, I've seen some motivational talks that somebody likes the views, like, you know, imagine, like, you know, super good looking. They drive a Ferrari, you know, so they live in a penthouse and stuff like that. And they're telling you how, how perfect you can sort of, you know, your life can be. And I'm just going to go, oh, come mate, you're doing me head in, like, and yeah. stuff, you know. And you need to be realistic. And I think sort of someone like myself who does struggle, like sort of, you know, I have to keep telling me these things. I don't get up. It doesn't come easy to me and stuff like that. You know, some things I do better than others. Some things I do worse than others. But I do know what it takes to get these sort of things done. And, like, some of it is unfortunately just you've got a graft. You know, like, so there's, there's very few shortcuts, you know, but believing yourself is is absolutely paramount because if you don't, you know... No one will, will you? No one will, exactly. And, like, sort of, um, I'm the sort of person who I might sort of outwardly sort of self-doubt. Like, say, for example, me and you were in the pub and we were discussing sort of uh, the fact that, um, oh, yeah, let's do this now. If Don't. Ireland get if Ireland gets to the uh, World Cup final, I've got this knee injury at the moment, um, and I don't know really what's going on. It's it's kind of baffling some doctors as well. Um, I ran across Ireland last year, and I think if Ireland gets to the Rugby World Cup final, I wouldn't mind being in Ireland for that. Oh, and um, yeah. I might just because what I do is I run to an ocean and then I turn around and go back. And so even though I've had a bit of a break since I was last in uh, at the Irish Sea, I might go back to Dublin and I uh, get to Galway. So I've got all these massive doubts. I've not been doing that much running training. I'm probably only doing about 20-odd uh, mile a week at the moment. Um, and I don't know what this knee's going to do. But I'm going to give it a go. You know, and I'm going to see how it gets. And you know what? If I only get to, you know, sort of 40k in and I've got to stop, that doesn't matter because the important thing is always getting to the start line. And I think that's what a lot of people sort of, you know, they don't get themselves to that start line. So one of my big things when I chat to people is like, oh, just give it a go. You know, you don't even have to tell anyone, you know, but um, I find that telling people is a very powerful motivator because, you know, uh, <laughs> Especially, well, exactly, or at least start. And one thing is, like, sort of, um, if I give it the big chat, you know, sort of, uh, I like to do it in a in a way, and you know, I'm not going out there and saying I'm the greatest ultra runner ever because I'm not. You know, there's a, a Lithuanian guy called Alexander Sorokin who's run 192 miles in 24 hours. Most I've done 136, you know. And yeah. so for me to give it the big I am, like some people do on social, that's not for me. And then I do hope as a result 
that if I do fail a third of the way in, people are more inclined to just go, ah, oh, well, you're still sound. Yeah, that's it. That's what you wanted. Yeah. Rather than watching it going, I really hope this fella cocks up halfway through. <laughs> I want to see him crying. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so now we spoke about you. Let's talk about Liverpool then. Obviously, massive Liverpool fan like myself. Um, you sit close to Tony, put us in touch, like I've said. Uh, what's been your thoughts on the season so far? It's, it's one of those ones where you don't want to get ahead of yourself. It's a little bit like me on that run. I don't want to say to people, I'm going to run across five times, and I don't want to say people <laughs> Liverpool are going to win the league. But, you know, <laughs> this is... It's got to the point people are saying this is like, you know, the clock 2.0 and stuff like that. But you know what? This has given me the levels of excitement that I haven't had since 13, 14. The, the Rodgers year where we really thought we were going to win the league. Because this front five is just incredible, you know, sort of, and... And and we've got we've got the maverick in Darwin, haven't we? Yeah. You know, everyone's got the uh, you know specific role. You know, Mo's just Mo. You know, sort of. Um, he was actually. I was thinking about this the other day. I wonder what John Barnes would have been like if we'd have played this system then. Could you imagine Barnesy like on that right wing just cutting yeah. in like sort of? It would have it would have been a sight to see. You know, uh, yeah, Mo's Mo. Jota, he just reminds me of Rush. Works hard, he's lean, he poaches, he's great in the air, you know. Gakpo is just so silky, isn't he? You know, yeah. like sort of, um, you know, and like sort of, he, he, I, I don't even know what type of player he is. All I know is I like him. Yeah. And then you got you got Diaz, who, to be honest, is maybe the closest thing to a left-wing Barnes we've had. You know, sort of, he's even more Barnes than Sadio was. And then... Uh, we got Captain Chaos. <laughs> He's great, isn't he? He's great. He's absolutely boss, you know. And, and and the one thing is, I think these five all kind of know that they're going to get minutes and there's not going to be any narcs and stuff like that, you know. So I think it took Darwin a bit of a while to realise that. But now yeah. he's in there, you know. It's going to be something. And then um, obviously the, the midfield... Well, you, you just look at the class that Bellingham showing in in Spain, and you think, would he have been? Would he have been enough on his own? But he probably wouldn't have been, you know. No. You know, sort of, uh, and like especially because like now, that defense looked really shaky last season. Yeah, we make the odd mistakes, but that's because we're hypercritical of everything like that. People were battering Verge for um, you know, sort of Bowen's thing on Saturday. He had his leg fully extended and Bowen was down about two inches off the deck. You know, <laughs> yeah. people saying Verge should have got his head on that. Could you imagine? That would have been the weirdest challenge <laughs> of all time. <laughs> it's one of them, weren't it? I think it was very clever from Bowen. I think people are just really quick to get on Van Dyke's back because of what they've seen. But, you know, he's, he's human at the end of the day. Yeah, he's been built up so much, mate. People are now reveling in the um, in in the opportunities to chop him down, like and so. Um, you know, I've been having so much fun watching Liverpool this year. I've not even been bothering watching anyone else because, like, why are you even worried what they're doing? City do what they do, and it doesn't count anyway. You know, no. so uh... <laughs> it's all well and good until it gets stripped, which is not going to happen. But you know, yeah. Um... Unfortunately, they won't strip him of this year's now and they are now a self-fulfilling um, behemoth 
because now <laughs> they can just you know they can just sell that fullback for fifty million and buy another one for sixty. So Marvelous. we've got to put up with them now. But um, I hope um, I would be fully up for the open top bus parade in twenty thirteen. <laughs> It's happening. It's happening. Um, okay, what what are your thoughts on Sobersly? Uh Well, and anyone called Dom sound by Mila. Nice one. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's it. We don't have to say anything else. <laughs> well, uh, I'm I'm lucky enough to uh, know somebody um, in the club. Uh, so John Power, uh, who is not just the lead singer of Cast, but also the club doctor. And so I went to school with him and um, he had a little chat with Dom and um, he said, uh, so like, what's like Budapest like? It's like a really great city, isn't it? You know, I said, what time do all the bars like sort of, you know, close out there? And Dom goes, when I tell them to. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <isn't it? laughs> yeah, I know. And the thing is, it was so weird because like sort of, he's captain of a side that destroyed England twice. Now I know there's yeah. only one big margin of victory, but the other one was like, you know, made a mockery of like sort of, you know, Declan Rice in midfield. And like you just think, why was no one else in for him? He doesn't miss games. He's big, he's fast, he can run for days, he can smack it. It's almost as if, like, you know. I, I don't know as if it was meant to be like a yeah. destiny thing, but then I thought that about Bellingham as well. So. Oh. Well, the thing is, that's that's a question for you then. So would you rather have got Bellingham and the squad as it is now, or would you rather have gone out and got the McAllister, the Subosli, the... I mean, let's say, let's put Endo in there because that is part of the money, let's yeah. be honest. Um, and maybe this Andre guy in, from Brazil in January... What would you have rather done if you look at it now? Obviously, it's hypothetical. Oh, well, 100% now. Like, so if I think anybody now who says they, they'd have Bellingham in isolation, um, mm. you know, is is just being stubborn. At the time, like, I, I just I just really wanted to be at Anfield singing Hey Jude. Last time <laughs> okay. I did that was with McCartney. That, you know, that just sort of seemed. But then I imagine, like, City fans singing for some weird reason. I don't so know weird, why. Yeah. I know, yeah. Um, and like, so I can't just sing an Oasis song, that's one of theirs, isn't it? And, um, and yeah, so they they thought that would have been pretty cool as well. But the McAllister buy was just just genius, it just really yeah. was, you know. Sort of, and then that's like, so you just really hope that Julian Ward's sort of potential return, you know, sort of is going to be an ongoing thing. Um, and then you've got the likes of Van Persie saying that Graven Birch is better than Bellingham. And I, I'll just go, I'll take that, you know. But then we're forgetting the most important person in this midfield, which is Curtis Jones. Curtis Jones is coming out of nowhere. Ian Wright called him, mate. Thanos is coming, you know. <laughs> and it's sort of, he's like sort of um, stats wise at his various stages in his career. And Gerard will be the first to tell you this Jones is better than Gerard at that age, you know, and stuff. It just almost. I don't know. Uh, like so whether we've just been a bit too spoilt with scousers and we've got we go we've got one at right back who's probably the best in the world at what he does, even though we don't really know what he does. <laughs> Obviously it's been a it's been a long time coming, let's say, to see a performance as like he's done for probably what are we on now? Probably the last eight, nine months, to be fair to him. It's yeah. not just the case of the first six, seven games. Um it's been a long time coming, and I think it's consistency obviously he's had his injuries over the time as well. But now you're seeing what he's about, aren't you? In a Liverpool shirt as well. He looks like he's at home now. And yeah. 
it's it's important that we you know we stick to our roots and we have these lads coming through and we back them. Now, if his name's Curtis Jones, you know when he's putting these performances in, <laughs> and he's in Europe somewhere, you you fucking knocking the club's doors down, signing for 50, 60 million, aren't you? So yeah, yeah, I think you're spoiled, and I think obviously the social media generation are asking for more all the time, aren't they? Yeah, and, and the fact is, I think everybody still sees him as a tricky winger, and like sort of it, you know, it is hard to get your head around, like sort of you know, him not even necessarily being. Of course, we we can't we can't say centre mid anymore. We have to say a six, yeah. um, you know, and and him in there, but he doesn't give the ball away. I no. saw something on our pass percentages the other day in the first half, and it was something like ninety six. Uh, 93 and 89, and I don't know who got what because they all looked that good. I probably assume McAllister was the 89 because he got robbed once, and then he got robbed yeah. once, and well, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, <laughs> he'll end. <laughs> but like Elliot as well, like sort of he's coming on, he's having these games and stuff, and you know, and I, I still think sort of this, uh, the endo deal as well. He will fulfil an absolute role. I kind of feel a bit sorry for him because he'll go from being the main man at Stuttgart to we all know he's going to be a bit part player here. Yeah. But the humility of him and like what Klopp said to him says, we need your heart, we need your legs, you know, and that's what he's going to be. We we got somebody who decided that they were a bit too big to do the Milner role um, and went and uh, saw pastures new. This lad's just come in, just go, what do you need me to do? And we're like, that, you know. And the yeah. fact that he can play centre back as well, you know, sort of is is great. Um, I don't know, I don't know what we're gonna do in January. Are we gonna get a centre back? You know, are we um are we gonna go for Andre? I don't know, you know. Bloody shame we're not gonna see Thiago much in this midfield though, innit? Yeah, it's a, it's it's heartbreaking to be honest with you, because every time I mean, you only have to look at the games he's played and you know, I'll always go back to that United game and, and say, single-handedly, it's one of the best performances I've ever seen in a Liverpool share from any yeah. footballer. Um, just, I was spoiled that day, and I think we've all been spoiled. And then the frustration with him is obviously his fitness. He's at the latter end of, of his career, let's be honest, and it would have been great having him in his pomp. But we are where we are. We're very spoiled in what we've actually got on the pitch as well as what we've got off the pitch. So if yeah. he comes in, and, you know, in the summer, I was sort of saying... If someone comes in now and puts this money in, you've got to sort of take it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, if I get to see him one more time in a Bill shirt and he puts <laughs> a performance in like that, I'll pay him. <laughs> You'll be there at Lime Street uh, Station with a carnation in your jacket pocket with a sign <laughs> saying Tiago, you know. And, um, don't worry, Dr. John's good, mate. You know, sort of, uh, he'll, he'll sort that medical department out. And so, Just uh, get him back for United. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So I won't keep you too much longer. Um, I know it's a Liverpool podcast, but I'm asking you this question anyway. Do you think this is the season that the shit is finally flushed down the chain and they get relegated? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's three um there's three big reasons why. Um actually the one big reason is the fact that the pyramid is completely fucked. Yeah. Um and unfortunately, like sort of it just looks like it might be too big a leap for Sheffield United, Burnley, and Luton, you know, sort of um it's a shame I've got like sort of a, a really good mate to a Sheffield United fans, and he just he just says he hates football, man, like you know, and so um I They've think, no I think goes through it down. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Everton looked good on Saturday as well. 
I know it's fucking painful, isn't it? Because you know what? <laughs> the last couple of years I've been going, I just I just can't see it. There's worse teams than them. And this season I genuinely thought there won't be many other than probably Luton that are worse than them. Burnley look attacking side. Sheffield United look half decent, but then I think I was just kidding myself. <laughs> there's no there's three worst teams than them, and that's the end of it. Like so well, you, it does mean you don't get to see him lift the championship trophy in the new stadium. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, <laughs> do you know what? There is a positive, isn't he? Because don't want to see them lift anything. <laughs> right. I'm going to call it a pod there, mate. Um, obviously, thanks for your time and thanks for taking the, the, the length of time that you have to record tonight. It's It's been superb, to be honest. And, you know, I've met a really good fella and I'm glad about that. So thanks for your time. And I hope everyone who's listened has enjoyed it as well. Cheers, mate. See you, see you for the pints in the old barn. Let's go. Catch you later. Thanks to everyone for listening in to today's podcast and thank you to our amazing guests. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. Don't forget to follow us on social media, twitter.com forward slash the road end pod and on Instagram, Instagram slash the road end pod. 